Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We're in chapter 23 of Leviticus. And please give your attention now to God's Word as Lance reads it for us. I'll be reading 1 through 5 this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, take us now into this portion of Scripture that um, seems very obscure and opaque and may sound funny for a lot of us. The feasts of Leviticus. And through them, would you show us the beauty of Jesus, we ask and pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Did you miss it? The last party. Um, Did you miss it? Were you there? You know how our lives, if you think about the calendar of our life, there are certain parties that you cannot miss. There are certain things you must be there for. For example, Valentine's Day, February 14th. Men, we are scrambling on the 13th and we realize it's Valentine's Day the next day and it's too late to order flowers. You know this like emotional rush you get to try to pull something off with an excuse that doesn't feel like an excuse to show your wife that you really love her or your girlfriend that you really care for her. You know what it's like. The Valentine's Day is an important party. Or your birthday. You know, your birthday is an important party. Or Christmas, that's an important party. Or the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday, that's an important party. We, all of us have parties that contour the culture in which we live in Oklahoma and in the U.S. and in the West at large. And did you know that in the Bible, there were certain parties that all of Israel were to celebrate? They were feasts. They were parties. They are called Levitical feasts. And a lot of us don't ever look at this part of the Bible And we're not looking at this part of the Bible now because it's cool. We're looking at this part of the Bible now because we're fixing to enter the season of Lent next week. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to study the Levitical feasts of Leviticus chapter 23. And the reason why we're going to study these Levitical feasts is because every feast, every feast together, they set up like a diamond and you spin them and they show you a different aspect, a refraction of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to introduce it this week and then next week, the first Sunday of Lent, we're going to begin to go down through them one by one, all seven. So a feast, a feast is a party. A feast is a place where you bring everybody together. A feast is something that you don't want to miss. And Israel and us study these feasts. Jews today still keep these feasts as much as you keep birthdays in your family. They fiercely keep them. And they're important for us to study as Christians today too. Why? Why would it be important for us to study Levitical feasts? Well, first, because it's a great encouragement to you and to me to know that we didn't invent what we're doing right now. And that people for generations and generations, even before the time of Christ, have celebrated certain aspects of God. They've come together to think and to pray and to 
eat to remind themselves that there are people with whom they stand. There are people that are surrounding us like a great cloud of witnesses and they are cheering us on. And this has been the case since the very, very beginning. The political feasts are an encouragement for you. They're to remind you that you are not alone. That you stand as part of the church and a great line of people who have thought about the same questions you're thinking about today and they have pursued those answers. Secondly, why do we study the Levitical feasts during Lent in 2015? It's not just a great encouragement to you, but it also shows you unique aspects of your Savior that otherwise would go missed, that would easily be missed. Each one of these feasts show us a different refraction, a different aspect of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and they are worth all of our time over Lent to think and dream and consider what the Lord intended to do through these Levitical feasts. These Levitical feasts were for Israel like the jingles that you cannot get out of your head. They were the things that contoured their entire calendar year. The first one we're going to look at today was Passover. It began their church calendar. And do you know when you get things stuck in your head? Do you know? Do you know what it's like when you get things stuck in your head? You can't get it out? Like Peyton Manning knows what that's like. Let's let him show us that in this commercial. Alex, if you would just... 50 Omaha set hot. Losing feeling in my toes. Nothing beats that new car smell. Chicken parm, you taste so good. Listen, it's a ditty, it's a jingle, it's something that Peyton couldn't get out of his head, even in the midst of his run-a-day life. And listen, there are things that you sing that you think about when you're not at church, when you're at work, when you're driving your car. This is called your worldview. This is called the thing that under, through which you understand everything about life. And Nationwide, of course, wants you to think about how they've got your back. They are always by your side. The Feast of Passover was going to be like this for ancient Israel. It was a feast that they were always to celebrate. They were to think about it whenever they drove their cars, chariots, whenever they were to be together as a family, whenever they were living life and they were raising their kids. The feast of Passover was a picture of their deliverance out of Egypt. And it was one of the seven Levitical feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which began the very next day. It was a high holy day for the people of Israel. And it was where people are reminded that you don't make bread that's leavened. You don't have time to wait for it to rise. Because the Lord is delivering his people out from under the hand of Pharaoh. We'll talk about that again next week. Or the, first of, the Feast of first fruits, where you were to bring a grain offering to the Lord as a sign that God has provided for you and he will continue to provide for his people just like he provided manna in the wilderness. So also with the barley harvest, he continues to provide for you. Or the Feast of Weeks, which is also called the Feast of Pentecost. It happens 50 days later. The first three feasts happen around March and April. The Feast of Weeks happens in early summer, May, June. The last three, Trumpets, Atonement, and Booths, happen in the fall. 
Their entire calendar was surrounded by these feasts. It bookended their lives to remind them again and again of God's faithfulness to his people. So in the moments we have together, and in just for a few moments, am I going to speak this morning? Let's look at the Feast of Passover. As I said, the Feast of Passover began in what is our today, March or April. It was the 14th of Nisan in the ancient Hebrew calendar. It was, Nisan was the first month of the Hebrew year, of the Jewish year. So this was two weeks into that year. It was the beginning of their year. They celebrated the Feast of Passover. You remember the Feast of Passover happened because of what the Lord did earlier in the Bible in Exodus chapter 12. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, all of Israel were held captive by Pharaoh in Egypt. And they had been for 400 years. And the slave masters had their thumb down on Israel and they had no peace. They were to make bricks without straw. It was incredibly hard. And Moses was told by God at the burning bush, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let his people go. And Pharaoh just laughed at his face. And so God sent plague after plague to Pharaoh to help him get the picture, to release essentially their, their entire force of hired labor, of slave labor. And Pharaoh utterly refused to do it. And on the night before the last plague, the Lord said to Israel, here's the deal. I want you to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and I don't want you to break any of its bones, but I want you to kill it. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to wipe it on the doorposts of your house and on the lintels, that's the part just above your doorframe. And I want you to wipe the blood on the outside of your door. How weird is that? Because the angel of death is going to come by and he will pass over every door that has this blood around its doorframe. And so that night, what did they do? Well, they killed a lamb, they sacrificed a lamb, and they, they wiped it across the doorframe. They ate bitter herbs, and they were to be fully dressed because God was going to move then. They didn't have time to get dressed later. They were to eat unleavened bread. They didn't want to wait for the yeast to rise in the bread. And they did exactly what the Lord commanded. And in Exodus chapter 12, one of the most astounding things in human history happened. There was a plague throughout the city, except in the households of those who were covered by that blood of those lambs. The Passover is not so much about God passing over people as much as it is about people being covered by something that was not from themselves. The, the people of Israel were covered by the blood of this lamb. And you know what it's like to be covered, right? Like when my, when my two-year-old son cries for his baba, his blanket, he cries like this primordial cry, baba, baba, because he wants his blanket. It's a dirty old scroungy old thing, but he needs it because it provides comfort and warmth and it's something familiar. And we, we laugh at a two-year-old, but you know what? You do the exact same thing. You comfort it by your money. Or you comfort it by your relationships. Listen to me. There's not a person in this room, myself included, that doesn't have things 
with which we try to cover ourselves up. And we try, we don't even, may, we may not even mean to do this, but we try to present to the world, no, I'm good because I'm covered with this, with either my looks, in my case, that's not the case, or your, your, your finances or your clothing or your position, whatever it is. What covers you? What gives you your sense of identity, your sense of purpose, your sense of meaning? There are hundreds and thousands of women who are flocking to Fifty Shades of Grey. And yes, I do know that it's possible to go to Fifty Shades of Grey because you're a movie critic for the local paper, but there are very few of those. And most of the girls are flocking to the movie because they are longing to be covered by love. They are longing for some man just to accept them, even if it comes at the expense of their own dignity and even their own autonomy. You're longing to be covered. When a creditor calls you to cover for your bills, what do you do? You long to be able to cover those bills. The first thing that Passover shows us is that you are covered. Or are you? If you're not a Christian here today, we are so glad you're here. Welcome to the club. There's a lot of us in this room who don't believe. But the most important question you can ask yourself is, who are you, where are you, what's wrong with this world, and how does it get fixed? And every one of us tries to fix the world by covering us up. You either cover it up and leave it for the next generation, or you really honestly believe that this effort of my own will merit God's favor toward me and he'll like me. He'll be pleased with me. If I go to church enough, if I do this enough, he'll like me. Listen, you cannot weigh your good deeds against your bad. You will lose every time. The only hope that you have is that you are covered with another blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, who Peter says is the perfect spotless lamb of God, who John the Baptist said when he saw his cousin Jesus coming on the scene, he said, behold, the lamb of God, who what? Who takes away the sins of the world. And Christians, if you're here today, listen, like, I'm, even though I want my children to know the gospel and I really want the gospel to be the framework through which I understand everything about the world, I still cover myself up with all kinds of stuff. The success of this church plant. My children, who you know. I'm not here to make you feel guilty at all. I'm quite the contrary. I'm just help, helping you ask honest questions about yourself. Everybody in here uses something to cover up their worst self. What do you use? This morning, you have a great opportunity to be honest about that again and to confess it to him because only in Christ will you find yourself to truly be covered. Only he can pay the bill. Only his grace extends beyond the domain of your sin. So the first thing you learn about the Passover is that if you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are freed from your sins and you are giving a covering that is not your own. You did not earn it. It was handed to you. It was a gift and you're given his righteousness. Secondly, 
Not only are you covered, but you're loved. And this is probably the thing that we talk about more than any other thing at this church. Because in Oklahoma, everybody goes to church, but very few people feel when they walk out of those church services that they're loved. But the truth of the gospel is you are cherished and you are loved. And we do not worship Allah. We worship Jesus Christ. We do not worship some God who stands afar off. We worship one who came and lived for us and died for us to show you the great extent of that love. Christians worship a God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, Isaiah says. That is, that we work for a God who actually acts on our behalf. He is our agent, so to speak. He is the one who represents us before the Father, or else we would have no ability to even get an appointment on his schedule. And Christ loved us so much that even though he knows every anxiety on your heart, and he knows every alternative cover that you use to make yourself look righteous in the eyes of people. He knew every one of those. Still, he went to the cross and he died just for you. And the more and more we understand that, the more and more the jingle gets into our life, the more and more we understand and we come to believe and we hold dear the greatest news in all the world. That what's wrong with this world is not that we can't figure out the Ukraine situation. What's wrong with this world is sin. It is so much deeper. And there is no remedy for that unless God comes from the outside in to help us. And he opens our hearts to believe the gospel. He must open our hearts because we are so broken, we do not know which way is up. And so Christ calls us through celebrating the Passover, to know that you're covered and to know that you're loved. And that's not it. The purpose for Israel and the purpose for us of the Passover was to know that he covers you, that you are his people, that he loves you, and to invite you to draw near and to believe yet again. Woody Allen one time said that, listen, I'm not, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> And later, he was interviewed by Rolling Stone, and they pushed him on it. And he goes, okay, listen, the fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and against death. Death is absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders anyone's accomplishment meaningless. It's tough words for a guy successful as Woody Allen. The Passover was to be a reminder in the death of that lamb that your Savior loves you. And you know what? The things you do in this life are not meaningless because Christ has called you to be his hands and feet in this world. He has called you to himself through the gospel and he sends you out in law, economics, engineering, just like Will said earlier when he was praying for Ryan through music to be his hands and feet. And he wants you to draw near to him. And he doesn't want you to be afraid of death. And some of you are. And that's okay. But your Savior loves you. And he preceded you in death in order that he might be raised to conquer death so that you, when you face it, might have the hope of the resurrection as well. 
Friends, do you know that you're covered? Do you know that you're loved? And do you hear your Savior drawing you forth to believe? That is the point of the Passover of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the New Testament times, when people celebrated the Passover, they did it in a very unique and interesting way. They didn't call it the Passover. They called it the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week because there are certain jingles that we need to keep in our head. Jesus is your Paschal Lamb. I could do the whole sermon like that, but I'll spare you. But he loves you. And he wants you to remember again and again, your Savior has died for you. And he wants you to remember it when you're driving your car, when you're making your chicken parmesan sandwich, whenever you're relaxing watching television. He wants you to know how much he loves you. And children, let me talk to you here for just a minute if you will listen to me. Hey kids, you know what? The Passover was a meal of ancient Israel where they, they killed a little lamb and they put the blood around the doorpost. And in ancient Israel, it reminded them of the one who would come, who would be their savior. And they were saved in the same way that you and I are saved. They looked to Jesus, the one who would come to take away their sins. The Passover in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus and his love for you. And the blood of Jesus, just like the blood of that lamb, is what covers you and makes you righteous because we can't be righteous on our own. And so all throughout the New Testament, you hear and you see of the Lamb of God. You hear about it in Isaiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth, referring to Jesus. And in Revelation, John, remember, he's on the island of Patmos and he has this dream. And John, thinking, how in the world do I communicate? What is this like? What is it like when you're going to be in glory, when the earth is renewed, you're in the presence of God? And how does John describe it? He says in Revelation chapter 5 that worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And in Revelation 5 verse 13, the next verse, he says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Of all the images John could have used in Revelation, God wanted John to use the image of the lamb because he wanted them to remember the exodus. Because not only did God take Israel out from under their captivity, but you know who else he's taken? He's taken me and you out from the slavery of our sin into hope, into lives of holiness, in light of who he has made us. He's called us to be holy. Or in Revelation chapter 7, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. Where? In the blood of the Lamb. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In Revelation 13, and all who dwell on the earth will worship everyone whose name has not been written before 
the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb of Life who was slain. In Revelation 15, 3, and they all sing the great song of Moses, the same Moses who gave them the Levitical feast in the first place. They will sing the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And let us rejoice and exult in him and give glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Listen, Jesus Christ is on your side. The Passover Lamb has been sacrificed for you. And this is not just Bible trivia. This is to help us assess what is it that we use to cover up our life before other people and before God. Because if you're not covered by the blood of the Lamb, you are exposed. You are exposed. And there is no hope for you outside of Jesus Christ's work and His work alone. Do you know Him? If you do know Him and you're a Christian, are you able to admit your cover-up? Because it's not like you believe in him and then life gets easier. It actually gets harder. Because you know yourself more fiercely and more honestly and you know the depth of your cover-up campaign. Friends, let us cling for the lamb was sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Jesus, you tell us that you are our forgiveness. You are the Passover of our salvation. You are the lamb which was sacrificed for us. You are our ransom. You are our light. You are our savior. You are our resurrection. You are our king. You lead us to the heights of heaven by showing us the depths of our cover-up. Would you show us the beauty of the good news that we cannot earn your favor, but you draw near to us to show us that the way up is always down, always through repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.